Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host attorney Rodney Dowell here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys improve their practice. We're glad you could listen today on Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dowell, Executive Director of Massachusetts Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers and Director of LCL's Massachusetts Law Office Management Program. Improving the lives of attorneys by offering free and confidential help for Massachusetts attorneys on issues ranging from depression and addiction to how to improve their business practices. For more information about our programs, visit www.lclma.org and www.masslomap.org. I'd also like to take this time to thank our sponsor, PC Law by LexisNexis. For more information, go to pclaw.com backslash radio. So to introduce this uh, topic today, we all know that every law firm, there are several points in the development of the firm when the founders feel like they are about to take off a step off the cliff. At least that's how I felt when I first started my firm and also when I was faced with hiring our first uh, employee. Many questions arise at this point, including the most basic questions. Can your firm afford an employee? In addition, a determination has to be made that the firm is meeting all the legal requirements related to hiring and ensuring that the employee increases profits rather than simply becoming a time and money sink. With us today to help shed some light on how to make the first hire a successful hire is my friend and North Carolina family law attorney, Lee Rosen. Lee began his legal career in 1987 and is the founder of the Rosen Law Firm, a North Carolina family law firm with 22 employees. Welcome, Lee. Hey, it's great to be with you, Rodney. I appreciate you joining us again. Also joining us today is a new guest, Attorney Scott Stewart from the law offices of Scott David Stewart out of Arizona. Scott's firm has successfully earned the trust and respect of more than a 1,000 clients in cases ranging from simple marital dissolutions to complex property division, child custody, parental visitation, and child relocation disputes. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Rodney. Appreciate being on the show. All right. We really appreciate it. And let me give a shout out right now to one of our listeners uh, uh, who I know by his uh, Twitter name, at Wilco Crim Lawyer. That's W-I-L-C-O-C-R-I-C-R-I-M-L-A-W-Y-E-R, who actually reached out to me on Twitter and asked me to do this topic, which uh, really I thought was uh, timely. Uh, because we're actually going through a hiring process at my organization, but also made me remember how hard it was when my partner and I first started thinking about hiring our first employee. We really stuck our toe in the water with part-time and contract employees and later finally hired successful uh, successfully hired some full-time associates, and ultimately, I really felt like full-time associates were the way to go. Now, I know both of you started in similar situations with sole practices. Now, Lee, you have 20-plus employees, and Scott, you have, I think, six or seven employees and are looking to hire another. Uh, so, I, while I don't want to get into the individual state law issues, uh, I'd really like to discuss, you know, what it takes to successfully 
uh, hire, make that first hire, and transfer that person into a real asset for the firm. So, uh, and Lee, let me throw this out to you, I guess, first, and maybe we can just go back and forth. But if you know, if you want to uh, add anything along the way on what the other person's saying, please jump in. But Lee, in your mind, when and why should an attorney really first start considering adding a staff member? You know, it, it's tricky because I, I think the, the obvious answer is that you ought to hire somebody when you're, when you're feeling too busy. You know, you've got too much work to handle on your own. But I've talked to a lot of, uh, of lawyers, and they all feel too busy from day one. They're all on they're all on overload, and they all think they need help immediately. And so, I think that being your own judge of when you're busy enough to hire somebody is probably not very helpful. Um, what I think I've come up with an objective standard that I think applies in a lot of scenarios that you ought to hire somebody when you're billing and collecting the value of 100 hours. In your uh, in your practice, so if your billable rate is two fifty an hour, and you've got twenty five thousand dollars a month in revenues, a hundred hours at two fifty an hour, then I think you're ready. And I think we need that objective standard because otherwise we hire people way too early and we we make a mistake. And Scott, what's your take on that? I, I agree a lot with with what Lee had said. I'll be honest, I never put a put an hourly number on it but but what I did originally was I took essentially what I was billing and and then figured that out on on a monthly basis and so that was the number that that I had always used uh to determine when it was time to to hire somebody so for me it, it came out to about $25,000 a month which is similar to the numbers that uh you know that that Lee is using I also think though that it's important to separate what you have to do during business hours versus what you need to do after hours because there's a lot of things that you have to do as a business owner after hours that are going to take time away. Um, but one thing you can't let uh, fall is, is your is your personal networking efforts. And so, like Lee, I think that that's an individual um you know, sort of measure that we all need to come up with, but you can't allow your networking to to drop because that's going to continue to fuel what you do going forward. Yeah. And, and Lee, I guess the question is, so how did you come up with that kind of number? Why, why do you use that objective number rather than, oh, I'm just feeling really stressed right now and I need to get someone in? Well, I'll tell you the truth, and, and, and I, you know, I hate to say this because I get a lot of pushback from lawyers yeah. when I say it. But I think there's a lot of ego at work um, among us that um, that we don't feel quite fulfilled until we have an employee that we can, you know, tell what to do. And so <laughs> we err on the side of hiring really early. And I've got I've, I've talked to lawyers who who opened their office, you know, 90 days ago and have three clients, and they want to talk about how to hire a paralegal. And it's it's insanity. And so I felt like I had to come up with some sort of objective measure so that when I got that question, I could help people, you know, stay on track. Because I think we're so driven emotionally uh, to hire someone. It just feels like we don't really have a law firm until we've got an employee. It doesn't feel right to go into that office and you're the only person there. So, you know, I think we need some objective standard. Yeah. 
that uh, that's interesting because I I run into that also. I mean, uh, young attorneys uh, or people who are just starting firms who really early want to hire someone, which kind of brings me to my next question because, like you, I think I hear a lot. Of, you know, I'm going to hire a paralegal or I need an associate, and sometimes I wonder if they're not should be hiring clerical help, you know, someone to do the filing or the accounting. What's your take on that as, uh, or how, how should the attorney um, decide if they're going to go clerical, paralegal, attorney? And I'll throw this over to you, Scott. Well, I think that's, you know, that, that's a difficult determination because it's going to depend on, uh, you know, what your practice is and, and, you know, what your individual needs are. And, and just a brief thing off of what Lee said, I think most people feel that, um, life's going to get easier when they hire their first associate or they hire their first paralegal. And, and while that, that's true to a certain extent, now they, they're going to be spending time managing that person. So that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, but in terms of hiring, hiring clerical or paralegal or an attorney, uh, I used to think that, you know, you, you need to hire staff and, and have them do what they can do to support what, uh, what needs to happen within your practice. Now I, I lean towards hiring an attorney and trying to find staff through either paralegal programs so that they can come and maybe work for free and earn school credit or law students or find alternative ways to have staff come in so that I can get that assistance at uh, a lower cost or even free. But whatever you do, you want to make sure your attorney is not standing at a copy machine. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a, that's an important point, which which is often one one of the reasons I think you know when I when I'm talking to attorneys and they're they're not billing adequately, they're not getting their invoicing done, uh, they're spending too much time at the copying machine or filing stuff that maybe they're looking at the wrong hire. But um, but I like I, I understand where you're coming from. What what's your take on that, Lee? Well, I. I- I've got a couple of comments. I think, first of all, I try to hire. Well, first of all, I have a bias against hiring. Um, I'm not a big. I'm not a big advocate of of, of headcount going up. In my life right now, I'm trying to bring my headcount down and outsource as much uh, as I can. And so, what I try to do is identify the tasks that need doing, and in an ideal world, outsource that task. I have an executive assistant right now who's a Ivy League graduate gets paid about 40 bucks an hour, but I only pay her when I need her to do the administrative tasks that she does for me uh, to manage my uh, part of the practice. And, and I love that. But if, you've, if you're going to go out and hire full-time people, I will tell you my, my, uh, my sense today is, given the market, I would hire attorneys uh, over anything else, over paralegals, over clerical people, and I wouldn't mind if they were standing at the uh, copy machine. Because today, the attorneys uh, are not bringing very significant salaries. I mean, there's just, we're producing way too many lawyers for too few jobs. And so those folks are very happy to get a job, whether it means standing in front of a copy machine or not. And you can often pay them less than what, are, you know, what have been the rates for uh, clerical and paralegal people. And I know that's kind of depressing, but if you're going to hire somebody, you need to make it a good deal for your business. And today, lawyers are a dime a dozen. Well, and that kind of brings up one of the questions I had thought about, which was, um, you know, should I hire the 
the person that's maybe overly qualified with a high upside potential versus maybe the person, say, in, in this case, maybe, you know, with a paralegal certificate who can do great paralegal work, but will never turn into a, a income producer. Or or other you know outside of being a paralegal, uh, billing billing her as a or him or her as a paralegal. I think some folks look at it and say, "Boy, I want to hire somebody and keep them for twenty years." Um, I, Scott, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'd rather have somebody that lasts a year or two that's a real superstar and can help us move the needle right now, and then we find our next superstar a year or two from now if this if this great person decides to move on. Huh. And what about you, Scott? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, w- especially with uh, where where the legal industry is right now, and I think that it's in a tremendous flux. I have no idea where we're going to be in 20 years, and I do know that I have a need today, and that need's probably going to last for a couple of years. And so I agree with Lee. I would I would hire the superstar today and worry about two to three years from now when that point arrives. Well, and we, well, just want to step back here a minute, Scott. I think one of the things you talked about was you know when you're hiring that first person, how. Uh, you know, it, the work doesn't end. It actually increases because you have to actually manage it. Now, I, I know that I, I'm a big proponent. I, I love the the book, The E-Myth, and I, I know Lee uh, likes likes that. But and one of the points that The E-Myth Revisited made was how often small businesses, and I see this with attorneys all the time, hire that person and then fail to manage them at all. Uh, what's uh, what, what's your take on how to develop that real management skill that you need? Well, and I, I love the E-Myth. I, I'm an audiobook person, so I've listened to that, you know, four or five times. And I think, you know, the most difficult thing is to learn how to manage people. In law school, they don't teach us how to manage. As associates in young law firms, they don't teach us anybody how to manage. And so, the the important thing to do is is to figure out whether that's get a mentor, uh, listen to uh, an audio book or read a book or join uh, some sort of a group that can help you develop the skills necessary to manage uh, not just one person but multiple people is is essential because otherwise you're going to lose you're you're going to lose the the value of of that associate real quick. Yeah, I, and I will tell you, I. Uh... I, I love the E-Myth, and, and uh, my Sarah was named Elizabeth, and uh-huh. uh, boy, when I read that book, I really did feel like somebody, you know, that Michael Gerber had been a fly on the wall in my relationship <laughs> with Elizabeth. Um, but I, but I, the thing I don't like about the E-Myth is I feel like when you finish the book, you know you need systems, and you know you need management, but you don't know how to do it. Right. And the place that I have gone now for years, that I just, his, his, his night and day difference in terms of my ability to manage people is a series of podcasts put out, uh, it's at managertools.com, and they're podcasts designed for engineers. And boy, if you can teach an engineer how to be a good manager, it's easy to teach a lawyer how to, how to be a manager, because engineers are just tough, tough people to teach management to. And these guys at Manager Tools lay out a system of communication. They teach you how to give feedback and how to have uh, systematic meetings to get everybody in alignment and move forward. Uh, they they really do an amazing job of helping you take that first employee, get them on track, and keep them on track throughout the entire tenure of their time with you. Oh, that's a great, great piece of advice because it seems to, and that's one thing I, I really see lacking in both small firms and large firms is any systematized way of, of managing people. 
it's usually very ad hoc and it doesn't seem like uh, much attention is is paid to it to and especially to develop common kind of that common uh, quality of work throughout a uh, firm. And, and one of the most important things I, I feel and, and things that I think have been successful for me is to keep some sort of consistency with, with what you're doing. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that, that most of my office thinks that, that I'm somewhat crazy <laughs> with, uh, with everything that, that, that I'm always trying to do. Um, and, and looking at different things on technology and, and things like that. But, but the core management philosophy has been the same since I hired the first person. And that consistency allows me to do some of these other things and, and allows the, the, the staff to trust what we have going on and, and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm sorry. I was gonna, we're going to take a quick break here and a word from our sponsor, PC Law by LexisNexis, and we'll be right back. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow. I'm joined by Lee Rosen, the founder of Rosen Law Firm, a North Carolina family law firm, blogger and practice management guru, and attorney Scott Stewart from the law offices of Scott David Stewart out of Arizona. So, Scott, um, and I think this was your comment, and forgive me if I, I misattributed it here, but one of you were talking about selecting the superstar. And, you know, so we, we're talking a lot about trying to develop that, you know, management philosophy and consistency in our management of this new hire. But how do we go out there and pick that superstar? It, it, I, I have found that it, my, at least, uh, record of, of, of selecting uh, employees is about 50-50, I would say. So how, what do I need to do to improve that so I, I can pick a superstar every time? Well, I think today it, it, it's getting a little bit easier because when you tell people you're hiring, and, and now we, we get more unsolicited resumes now than we have at any time ever. And the resumes are, are, you know, they're all superstar resumes. But, you know, in the past, I would, I would agree. I would say I was about a 50 50. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe two years ago, three years ago, we, we sort of changed the system of hiring. And to be totally honest with you, I'm less involved in the process now. And I've got my staff more involved with, with the hiring. And since we've done that, 
it has actually allowed us to do a better job and, and we, we're finding people that are better fit for what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, but when you're by yourself and, and you're the only one that, that's doing the interviewing, then, um, you know, I, I mean, I think you need to find people that are, that are going to, you know, embrace your vision of what you're trying to do and, and have them buy into um, what you want to accomplish more so than looking at their individual resume because nowadays every resume you get, you're going to have a superstar or a potential superstar with, with uh, what they've accomplished in the past. Yeah, it is. It, it, that I think that the odds of, of getting good people today are better than they were, but uh, it's still tricky. And I don't think I would never be embarrassed about fifty-fifty because it is. This is a, one of the toughest things I think we do is finding good people. Um, for me, the 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 key is to take it very slowly. Um, you know, when I in the past I would make very impulsive decisions and hire somebody in the blink of an eye. Now we'll take months of interviews because what happens over time is that somebody who's not really who they appear to be uh, can't sustain it. You start to figure things out if you have multiple meetings with them, do lunch with them, you know, spread it out over time. Really slow process, but fundamentally we're looking for people who are good with people. Uh, that's key for us because they've got to be sort of people people because we practice with, you know, we do family law. We have real clients that need to get along with the, the people working with them. And then most importantly, we look for people that no matter what they've been doing, they've been successful at it. I don't care if what they've been doing is uh, is going to high school. We want them to be superstars at high school. If they've been working in a different kind of business, we want them to be a superstar in that kind of business. Because I think if you're successful in one thing, you've got what it takes to be successful in the other. And we can teach them the skills that they need to do the work in our office. But we really want to see that past history of them being successful at everything that they've ever tried to do. And it also sounds like one of the things you guys are saying is that you kind of you really need to step back and, and think long and hard about the uh, the type of personality uh, and the qualities of an individual. So have you developed checklists or, or that you share with your staff members that help you do, uh, you know, uh, interview or how do you do that? Well, and I'm curious, Scott, you've done some psychological testing, haven't you? Are you still doing some of that? We do. We started uh, with a hire that, that uh, well, the last hire we did, we actually did profile testing. And uh, we went through and we developed what, what now this wasn't an, an attorney position, but we went through and developed what we felt were the important key characteristics. And we had the final two applicants uh, go through this profile testing. And that is essentially how we how we made the final decision. How that, interesting. That, yeah, it's fascinating to me, and and we do it much more by the seat of our pants. But we are we definitely have a we have our core values listed out, the things we perceive as being most important to us that have been built over time by the people that are here. And uh, what we do is we'll have each applicant interviewed by at least one, if not two, people on each of our five core values, and we'll 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 evaluate that candidate in a along to see how we think they fit with that core value. And I don't know that any of that in and of itself really works, but I think thinking about it so much and stretching out the interview process really works and helps us helps us sort the wheat from the chaff. 
Yeah. And and Scott, I mean, I thought I think both of those are really great points. I, I love the concept of like identifying your five core values. And but to the psychological testing, Scott, where, how did you go about developing that system? And were you working with a psychologist or is there standardized uh, programs out there for that type of testing? There is. We've always for interviewing ha- have had a, a process. And this works very well with staff when we post post an ad on like Craigslist or wherever else we post an ad, we give very specific steps for them to follow. And if they don't follow those steps, they immediately get washed out. And so another person that I was was working with at the time had actually introduced me to the idea of using uh, using a profile. So we use a company called Profiles International. And we went through and, and developed, you know, the the characteristics for that position and it worked out very well, We're, and we will end up using that now for our next hire and probably every other hire. And I'm interested to see how it's going to work with attorneys because, as you said earlier, Lee, uh, sometimes you know ego or whatever it is, they they may or may not be too excited about taking a a, a profile personality test. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think hiring attorneys can be especially tricky for in a lot of ways. It, definitely, and, and when you're st- when you say that, Lee, what what other issues do you have, or that concern you besides the ego issue? Well, you know, I think I think, um, oh gosh, what other? <laughs> uh, you know, the the reality is that attorneys are really good at uh, at making it hard to interview them. I mean, the the fact is that they all. I, I, it's so funny to me because I'll ask a question like. Uh, what what size firm would you like to work in? And if I'm asking a paralegal candidate, they actually answer the question. Uh, but if I ask a lawyer the question, the answer is always, in one way or another, your size firm. You know, I said, what city do you want to live in? Your city. What kind of <laughs> law do you want to practice? Your kind of law. And it's very challenging to get a straight answer out of a lawyer. And so I really like the idea of the psychological testing, but uh, but I think when you present it to a lot of lawyers, they'll freak out. We've done some group interviews, which is a, a crazy and fascinating uh, way to interview people. We've done it at law schools. We've had law students refuse to be involved in the group interview process. You know, they're, really? they have very rigid ideas about what they're going to do or not going to do. And so... Uh, you know, when you get into some of these, you just don't really know who you're hiring until they're on the job. I think most of the time. Yeah. Well, I th- I think it's really difficult. And one of the things I tried recently was to have a new hire actually do, or you know, as part of the interview process, do presentations for us and do a mock interview, which you know is not obviously applicable to everyone. But I was surprised uh, that I didn't get m- more pushback on it, and they all wanted to do it and did a fairly good job with it. Do you guys use any, uh, you know, actual uh, process or where you're making them take this actual, you know, do something for you like that? Uh, we've had them do some writing, present uh-huh. us with some writing things. We've asked them to, we, in the interview process, we'll present them with fact patterns and ask them to sort of tell us how they would handle things. Yeah. Uh, but I will tell you, for us, more than anything, the way around the attorney uh uh, shield, I guess we'll call it, is uh, is stretching that process out. If you if you meet with them a handful of times over several months, it really does make it harder for them to to keep up the act if that's not who they really are. That's interesting. And Scott, do you get that through your staff uh, interview process, or do you stretch yours out also? Ours 
typically lasts about a month, and it's usually somewhere between three or four interviews over that that month. And I'm typically the it's not an interview, but the first phone call just to uh, you know kind of cover the process with them, get a feel for them, and and make sure we want to move them to the next stage. And then I'm I'm the last interview after they've interviewed with the attorney manager and, and typically office manager. They'll usually go to lunch with uh, at least one of them, and uh, so then I'll be the last interview. So our process takes about a month. It's not quite as long as leave. Yeah. Now, do either of you have you or have you ever, I guess, you know, spotted individuals through uh, one process or another, and then pursued them and actually recruited them into your firm? You, you mean just going out and identifying someone that yeah. we think would be a good employee? You know, we have we we try not to do that. Actually, um, we're we we don't want to be we don't want people to steal our employees, and so we try not to steal other law firms' employees. We've done it some with uh, with people that we've taken out of other uh, industries, but we've never done it with with lawyers, just because we don't want to. It's a small legal community, and we don't want to generate bad will with the other law firms. Yeah. And we're, the, we're the same way. We don't uh, pursue people from other firms. If if they contact us, then then that's fine with me. But we don't go after people from other firms. I have uh, one or two times contacted a specific solo practitioner, uh, but uh, never ended up hiring them. Yeah. But along those same lines, you know, you get hit, you get solicited by these recruiting firms a lot who are trying to present you with employees. Over the years, we've tried that, and that has not, uh, I don't think it's, it's been especially helpful, and it can be very expensive. I think we've been just as well off with, you know, running a listing at the, with the law schools, the placement offices, running something in the legal newspapers, that sort of thing, to generate uh, applicants. Yeah, and it sounds like, Lee, like you have a preference, uh, as you said, you know, a superstar that can work quickly. For fairly younger attorneys and maybe staff members who are are really smart and will do their work uh, rather than bringing in uh, people who are uh, more set in their ways, basically someone who you can kind of mold for your firm. I, I like the I like bringing in someone young that you can mold um, the superstars that we're that we've generally hired, especially in staff positions, have been people that are on their way somewhere big. You know, yeah. they've just finished college, they're thinking about graduate school, or or they're taking a, a, a time you know off from college. They're at the beginning of their careers. Those are the folks that they we we've been a stepping stone to something much bigger than us. For right. Them. And that that was always my best uh, staff members too. Is definitely uh, people who are right out of, out of college, maybe going to law school in the future, but you know, in a couple, two or three years, or some other graduate school program. Usually bright, hard workers, uh, but definitely not necessarily going to be in the law firm for uh, five, ten years. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The folks that are going to stick around are going to be steady and reliable. But they may not be able to produce for you at the same rate that that superstar does. But, you know, the superstar comes and they go. So it's a trade-off. Right. You really have to decide what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And how much time you're willing to put into developing new um, uh, personnel. But it also seems like, I, and I don't know if your, uh, Scott, if, if your system works this way too, but if you do have that superstar, it's very important to kind of develop those procedures and policies so they can step in and, and uh, Go, get right into um, uh, do the things the way your firm does quickly, right? Absolutely. 
absolutely. I think it's important that you need to have your systems written up into some sort of a policy manual or best practices manual so that when they sit down on day one, you can essentially hand them the job description and instructions on how to do every single thing that their job is going to require. And for us, that's really accelerated the the learning curve and the training process. And we've been able to cut that down, you know, probably, you know, by a couple of weeks. And do you use that same process, Lee? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a, a very detailed approach to every system. Uh, we use this product called Screen Steps that we use to create systems, all with you know illustrations from the computers, because most of our systems involve uh, you know using the computer. And you, there's almost nothing in our firm that you can't find the instructions for right there online, right on your machine, uh, 24/7. So you know, client walks in the door, wants to make a credit card payment. Boom, there's a system for that. Client needs a uh, motion to dismiss uh, based on jurisdiction in a child custody case, boom, there's the system with all the forms and procedures you need to follow. Oh, that's great. And who puts that together? Did did each one of you put those together initially, or did you have your employees develop it as they go along? We had our staff develop it when we started the process. Each person, first thing we did is they started and wrote down every single thing they thought they did for their job, then we went over it. And that helped us. We had people doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, so it helped us uh, get everybody on task for what they were supposed to be doing. It made us more efficient. And then they went through, wrote everything up, did all the screenshots, and then our our office manager collected everything and, and put it into the final format. Yeah, that's and the, and the key there is, I mean, Scott's doing it exactly right, but you have to keep updating it because, you know, Things change constantly. Processes change. A new coffee maker comes, and you don't have to put water in it the way you put it in before. You got to have everybody on the team dedicated to keeping those systems uh, current. Which requires a lot of management skill too to keep everyone moving forward on that simple task. Yep, constant communication. It's got to really be one of the core things that you're trying to accomplish, literally every day or every week on the job, keeping those systems in place. Well, listen, guys, I'm going to ask each of you uh, for one final word of wisdom for making uh, a first hire a successful hire. Uh, Lee, you want to go first? The, the most important thing I can uh, say to someone thinking about this is is probably don't do it yet. Uh, we jump too quickly. There's no reason to do it. You can outsource. You can find assistance on those tasks. Hesitate on this. Once you're hooked into that payroll uh, that's a lot of money, and it's a long-term commitment. Be very, very cautious about taking that step. Yeah, and Scott, how about you? I agree 100% with what Lee said. I was going to say hire slow. That's been my philosophy, uh, you know, from day one, and and even now we're at the point that we need to consider hiring, and and I'm going to hold off as long as I can, and uh, you know, take my time, do it slow, and do it right. Great. Well, listen, uh, Lee and Scott, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Lee, where can listeners go if they want to find out more about you, your law practice management blog, and, and other uh, contact points? Best place to find me every single day is at divorcediscourse.com is where I write about law practice management every single day, and the law firm site is rosen.com. And how about you, Scott? Uh, the best place to find us is at uh, sdslawaz.com. That's our firm website, and you can contact me through my uh, email address there on the uh, on the website. 
Great. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this edition of On Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. Please feel free to continue this discussion on Twitter, where you can find me at Rodney Dow. Thank you. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast with Attorney Rodney Dowell. Join us again for the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.